Good morning. Welcome each one this morning. Special welcome to our visitors. It's good to have you here to worship with us. Welcome back to John and Esther. It's good to see you back again. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning expecting, Lord, we are here to to worship, first of all, but Lord, Lord, we also desire to be encouraged and to be um, to learn from your word. And God, I pray that your spirit would rest upon us here. Lord, thank you for the many blessings that we do have, that we do experience, and the blessings that we experience as Christians and as believers. We're grateful for those. Lord, I also pray for the service up in Elkhart. Be with Jeff as he preaches there. I pray a blessing on on the message, and on their time together worshiping. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It was Labor Day 2021, just about a year ago, and I was, had a project going on at home there, and I was, as I was working Friday afternoon, I received a call from a customer, and he had some concerns. He said, as I was mowing my lawn, he said, I something looks strange in my lawn, and he said, I'm seeing a lot of, he said, it's, it's some kind of a worm, I think, crawling around in my yard. And um, I get a fair amount of these calls, people, when they see, all of a sudden, they see something different in their yard. They get rather concerned because it's out of the ordinary, and, and sometimes there's nothing to it, or maybe they just haven't noticed it before. And, and so I, I assured him that Next week, I'll try to get out and take a look at his yard, and, and I didn't really think about it that much. And um, Saturday, I was working. I think I maybe got, no, I don't think I got any calls. Sunday, I had a customer who left a message on my phone. I think as I left church, I, I see this message, and I recognize the number, and I wondered, why is he calling me on Sunday? And, and so he left a message, and he said, you know, he said, I was in church today, and he said, I was talking with some of my friends, and he said, I think I have army worms in my lawn. And I thought, well, do you have to call me on Sunday to tell me you have army worms in your yard? And um, so I didn't think a whole lot about it, and I thought, well, I'll have to give him a call Monday morning. And by Monday, which was Labor Day, I started getting a lot of calls, and people were saying, hey, I think I have army worms in my lawn. And other people were calling and saying, I hear there's army worms in the area, and how do I know if I have them in my yard? And everybody was, was quite in a panic. And so as I, I started doing so, I, I looked up army worms, and I was trying to figure out uh, what they are and, and what you can do for them, and, and I was, I was kind of surprised at people being so worried about these things and wondering, well, can we treat them, and how do I know if I have them? And army worms are an interesting worm. And true to their name, army worm, they get their name from the way that they move. And an army, they they move as as you would maybe imagine an old style army would where they they used to march. And today's armies don't do that as much like they used to. But army worms move in a group and they eat as they go. And so they just, they move together, and you can see their destruction as they, as, they, as they move out of one area, there's just destruction left behind them. In fact, some people say that if they're bad enough, 
they'll move through a field, and as they come up to a building, they'll go right up over the top of the building, they'll crawl over it, and they'll go down the other side, and they keep going, and they just, they eat what's on the other side. And so it's an interesting worm, army worm. They can eat a football field in two to three days, and they're, they're surface feeders, they feed on the plants, so they don't feed on the roots, but they just, they mow everything off that's above ground. And they're night and early morning feeders, and so you, you really rarely see them. And so I was kind of surprised when some of these customers called and said that, uh, that, well, they figured out they had them and they had seen them, because often you don't see them. You see the results, but you don't actually see the worm. Army worms do little damage when they're small, but they do a lot more damage as they mature. Their life cycle is about a month, and so uh, it's possible to have multiple hatches in a season. And so about every three to four weeks, you can have a new batch of army worms, and so that's why they're so destructive. They um, have a a four-stage life cycle, so egg, larva, pupa, and adult, and larva is where they're the most dangerous, where they eat the most foliage. They eat 90% of their total foliage in their final two to three days of life. And so as they, eat, as they reach that larva stage, um, and as they begin to mature, uh, they, they eat a lot of forage, whatever it is. It can be hay, it can be grass. I don't typically damage corn and that type of thing, I guess, a lot, but it's, it's more um, grassy uh, type of plants. Hay fields, they'll, they actually strip the stems off, and so all that's left is a stem, and they'll eat all the, the, the um, leaves and stuff right off the hay, and you still have to mow it because you have to get rid of that stem. So they're very destructive. And then, right before they die, they lay about one to 2,000 eggs, and then they die. And guess what? If the conditions are right, one worm turns into maybe 1,000 next round. And so as that life cycle continues, they can really multiply and create a lot of damage. Well, as I, as I dealt with this last year, I, did, I was made aware that army worms are something... There's kind of a comparison here. Army worms are a lot like something that we as Christians, or we as people, as human beings, face in our life. It's something that all of us face. Um, it's something that destroys. There are a few things about army worms that I like to point out. They destroy plants. They feed at night. They do more damage as they mature, and they destroy lawns and crops. What do you think I might be referring to that we face in our lives? Sin. Sin. There are a lot of similarities in the destruction of an army worm and sin. So, clarify with me, what is... What is sin? Sin can, we can have different definitions, but how would you define sin? I'd like some answers. What does sin look like? What is it? 
transgression of the law. Disobedience to God. Missing the mark. Clarify a little bit. thought about sin. It's, it's a little bit... Go ahead. Something done for selfish reason. It's a, we know what sin is, but when we, when we actually go to define it, besides uh, disobeying law, disobeying uh, Scripture clearly, um, maybe sometimes we struggle a little bit to, to give a, a, a real clear definition. Some of the things I thought of is anything that separates us from God. And so it can be it can be even things that we own or, um, or activities that we're a part of can become sin when they, when they separate us from God, when they draw our attention away from Him and take our time away from God. Disobedience to God's Word was mentioned, uh, disobeying God's commandments. And, you know, as we list those things, I don't think any of us desire to do those. We don't consciously make an effort to disobey God or to disobey His commands or, or to be uh, selfish. Those aren't things that we, that we strive to do. So how do we get there? How, how, do we, how do we actually commit those things if we really don't want to do that? And maybe we ask, well, I don't see myself doing those things, so maybe I'm not affected. Maybe sin hasn't been a part of who I am. Maybe I'm the exception here. There's a verse in Romans, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, I don't think any of us are exempt, but all of us have a sin nature in us. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to James chapter 1. I'm going to read several portions out of James. James chapter 1, beginning to read... In verse 1, I'm going to read the first four verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So he talks here about, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, but yet we're not supposed to sin and we're not supposed to fall into sin. And I think there's, there's a difference in this passage. There, there are two parts of this passage that talk about temptation, and I think there's a difference in this these first four verses, I think he's referring to trials, to tests that are given to us. Maybe a good example of that would be Job and the tests that he faced in his life. God allowed tests to change and shape who Job was. He did not actually bring um, temptation to sin. 
in Job's life. Could Job have sinned in his reaction to those trials and tests? Absolutely. But I think there's a difference in, in the tests that, 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 is, that James is referring to in these first four verses. Now jump down to verse 12. <clears throat> and these are the, the tests and the temptations that I'm talking about this morning. Beginning to verse, read in verse 12. Blessed is man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. These are temptations and, and that lead to sin. These are the type that seek to destroy us. Um, look in verse, in verse 15. It talks about, well, I asked the question earlier, how do we get to that point of falling into sin? And it's very clear in verse uh, 15. It says, verse 14 actually, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust. And so it's, it's actually a, a desire, it's something that, for me, it's something that I desire doing. It's something that is pleasurable to me. And, and Satan sees that and he, he tempts me with that. He tempts me and makes me think, well, that would be fun to do, even though I know I shouldn't do it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to that. I'm, in, I'm enticed by that. And then in verse 15 it said, so we're drawn away of, a, of his own lust and enticed. And then in verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it's finished bringeth forth death. It's something that I desire to do. I want to do it. I'm enticed to do it. And I, I indulge. I do it. I commit the sin. And sin has some, some pleasurable parts to it. It does. It has, some, it has some, or else I wouldn't be enticed, right? I wouldn't want to do it. But there is, there is pleasure in that sin for a time. But then it says, and when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And I think all of us know what that is. There's, there's something inside of us that is, is drawn to commit that thing. And there's a, there's a lie that we believe. There's a lie that I'm convinced, that Satan convinces me with that says, Wow, that would be so fun. That would be so filling. It would, be, uh, it, would, it would just make me feel good to do that. And if only I could do that. Wow, that would be. And then after I do it, ah, uh, the guilt, the heaviness, the loss of happiness because of committing that. There's a death that occurs because of having committed that sin. And so there's a progression that happens. You know, my desires, the things that I enjoy doing, are really the basis for my temptation. That's why we all face different temptations. What may be a temptation for me may not affect you at all. But what may affect you, what you're drawn to, what you're enticed with, what looks glamorous to you, may not affect me. 
You see, my weakest areas are where I will face the strongest temptations. And I think we need to be aware of that. Those areas that I'm drawn to, those, those areas that I'm weak in, those areas that I, I, I tend to want to do and know that I shouldn't, those are the areas that I'm going to be tempted with because Satan knows he can, he can tempt us and be successful. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The end of sin is always death. It is always destruction. Some characteristics of sin. What are the things that I'm naturally drawn to do? What are the things that, that... entice me. You know, I am often, red flags go up in my mind when I hear or see, um, sometimes on social media, but even I hear people say, well, um, be, who, be who you need to be. Be yourself. Um, and it, be the real me. It's, it's so freeing when I can just be who I am. And, and the reason I question that is because as Christians, don't get me wrong, I, I think God wants to use me for who he created me to be. I don't want to, want to portray that we need to be somebody who we're not. But I think God, if, when we, we need to allow God to change us into the person that he can use. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, the real me is the person who's desiring to do those sinful acts, to do those things that I said, that we talked about earlier. But I need to allow God to change me, to change my desires, to change my my passions so that I become the person that He wants me to be so He can use me. Now that's true freedom when I allow God to change who I am to change my desires, and now I'm that new person that God can use me. So I think we need to be aware and to be careful not to just be who I am and be myself and, and do what feels good, but to be who God wants to change me into so that He can use me. So one of the characteristics of sin is our, our things that I'm naturally drawn to. Another one is sin likes to stay hidden. Sin likes to do things when nobody else will see it. Sin likes to cover its tracks. It erases the browsing history. It is aware um, what not to look at when. It is aware, I become aware of how I can do things and stay under the cover of darkness or under the cover that that nobody realizes what I'm doing. It likes to be hidden. It's a little bit like army worms. During the day when you can see them, they're not there. They're down in the thatch. You don't realize that they're there when the sun is shining, but at dark, it comes out, and often sin is is committed 
at dark. Another characteristic of sin is the pleasure. In Hebrews 11, it refers to Moses leaving Egypt, and it, it, it makes a statement when it's, when it's referring to Moses. It says he could have stayed in Egypt and experienced Egypt's pleasures for a season. There was a lot to offer in Egypt. Um, Moses could have, he could have lived the high life. He could, have, he could have stayed there and enjoyed those pleasures. But he chose to leave. He, he chose the tough route, uh, even though he didn't want to. Sin is pleasurable. Another thing that sin does is it separates us from God. There's a separation. When sin is in our life, it separates us from God. And not only God, but there's also a separation from other people, from believers. Because when there's sin in my heart, there's something about it when somebody else is living in victory. There's, it, it creates a separation there. It's hard for me to relate to that person when there's something in my life that I'm, that I'm hiding, when there's something that I'm covering up, when there's not an openness. It, it, it creates a, a, a closeness. It, it, I want to shelter myself. I want to cover up who I am because I'm portraying something that I'm actually not. And I don't want you to see what that is. And so it separates us from God, it separates us from other believers. Turn with me, if you care to, to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Sin separates us from the fellowship with God. And if you find yourself ever wondering, well, why is God so distant? Why can't I connect with him? What is it? Why has he removed himself from me? Why, why, why aren't my devotions what they should be? Why is it so hard to come to church? Why is it so hard to relate to other people? My tendency is to look around at everybody else and say, well, church is boring. I'm not getting fed. Preachers don't preach what they, they don't preach compelling messages. The people that I'm with, they're all just, they're out of sorts. They're not fun to be with. And I think we should sometimes be looking at our own heart and saying, God, Lord, search me. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. See if, see if there's something in me that is causing me to feel separate from other people. God, is there sin in my heart? Evaluate what's in my heart. Allow God to, to speak to me and reveal that. How does God feel about sin? <clears throat> what is his reaction to sin. Let's turn to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, I'm going to read several verses, beginning to read in verse 4 of Psalm 5. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell in thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. God is a holy God. God is a God who cannot sin doesn't tolerate sin, and despises sin. And because of that, if there's sin in my life, it creates a natural separation because where there's sin, God won't be there. There's a separation. It says God despises sin. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Am I even concerned? Do I even 
want God to search me? Do I even invite God to search my heart to see if there's any sin? You know, through that whole army, that whole army worm experience, one of the things I thought was interesting was I got calls from people saying, you know, I don't think I have army worms. I don't notice anything, but I've heard they're in the area. And could you come check my yard just to see if there are any here? Because I'm worried about it. Another thing was I had a customer that called and said, I don't think I have army worms, but if I do, could I call you and could you come right away to spray them? Like they wanted to be on the list before they even thought they had them. And I had customers, I had new customer, new people who I've never dealt with before who were calling me and saying, hey, we have army worms, can you come spray our army worms? And so I was really of no use to them before, but suddenly I was uh, rather valued for my services to spray their army worms. And I had to think, you know, what if we as Christians would be like that? What if we would be so concerned about these army worms? What if I would be so concerned that I'm going to fall into sin, that there's going to be something that's going to entrap me in, in my life, that I would call Brother Marlon and say, Marlon, we need to go to coffee. Now, Marlon, I, I need you to watch my life. If there's anything you see, if there's anything that you question, I want you to call me, Marlon. Can you, be, can you just be aware of me and just watch what I'm doing? Because I don't want to fall. What if we at communion would say, if there's anything in my life that you see, brothers and sisters, I want to be open to you. And what if somebody would come and I would say, oh, you know what? I didn't realize that. But you're, you're right. You must have noticed something. You see, it's a, it, there's a spirit of concern. Do I want to live in fear of sinning? I don't think we need to live in fear. But I think we should be aware of the fact that I have lusts, that I have desires, that in my humanness, even though I'm a saved, even though I'm saved and one of chosen by Christ, even through that, there are still desires that can pop up. And do I, do I invite that from others? Do I sit down and do I invite them to observe my life, to observe my family, the direction I'm going? And do I welcome feedback saying, if you see anything, come talk to me. I want to know. I want to know it. I want to hear from you. You see, those people were so worried that their lawns are going to get destroyed by those army worms. They wanted to be on the list. They wanted to be ready so that at a moment's notice, if they noticed something, they could call me and I would come right away. Is that how we live our lives? Am I so concerned? Am I so concerned that I might get drawn away of my own lusts and enticed and fall? Do I allow others to help me identify things in my life? And maybe, maybe they aren't even sin. Maybe the thing that they observe in my life, maybe it's not a sin. But maybe they see it drawing me a certain direction that raises concern in their mind. Am I open to that? 
or do I right away defend myself and say, well, there's nothing wrong with that? Or do I hear that person out and say, you know what? There's probably some truth to that. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but I can see where you're coming from. Am I open to that when somebody shares a concern with me? Psalm 19, I'm going to read two verses. Psalm Psalm 19, verses 12 and 13 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. This is David. David knew what sin was. David knew what it meant to live in sin. He knew what it meant to fall. David knew what it meant to live with guilt. He knew what it meant to be called out from that sin. When Nathan came to him and and said, you're the man, You're, you're the one who sinned. David knew what that meant. And I think it's, after having gone through that, David is now coming and saying, oh, goodness, what if I don't even, what if I'm not aware of a sin that may be in my life? I want you to make me aware of, 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 of sins that I may not even be aware of myself or tendencies that are going to, to lead me to sin. Do I have that same spirit? A spirit of David saying, just watch me carefully. Watch how I'm living my life. Don't let me, don't let me slip up. Don't let me go that direction. But call me back. Remind me. Just Give me input in my life. Is that the heart I have? Well, how do I identify, how do we identify sin in our lives? One of the first things I learned with army worms is if they're not out at, in the day, um, how do you find out if you have them? And I had a fair amount of people who, who called and said, hey, something's looking strange with my yard, and so I said, well, you possibly would have army worms. No, they said, no, I went out and looked, and we don't have any army worms. And so I learned a little trick, and if you take a gallon of water and you put dish soap in it, and you stir it up, and for most of the last fall, I carried a five-gallon bucket on the back of my truck with soapy water, and I was buying soap, and <laughs> never heard the likes. But anyhow, I, I would carry this bucket of water, and I'd go out in the yard, and I'd just start pouring in a circle and just make the circle wider and wider until you got about a, a two-foot patch of soapy water poured, and then you sit the bucket back, and, and you'd wait. And within 20 seconds, if there were army worms there, I mean, the grass, you'd start seeing the grass would just move, and, and all of a sudden, these guys would come up, and they're just wiggling and carrying on, and spiders would come up, and, and it, was the, it was just, it was amazing. And uh, in fact, I went to one customer, and, and they, they homeschool, and and so I, I showed this lady, she was a little skeptical about, you know, that they had army worms. And I was looking at the lawn, I thought, boy, something, looks, something does, doesn't look right. And so I poured in, and they just came up like crazy. And so I, I showed it to her, and she got her children out. She said, come out here, you got to see this. And so they came out, and I, I did it again, you know, and all oh, these worms would come up and start wiggling. And, and it, was, it was interesting, because one of my customers, he, I showed up, he said, hey, what's what's with my yard? He said, it looks a little funny out there. And I said, well, I said, I'm suspicious you have army worms. But, and I could see he's an older farmer, you know, he, 
and he's pretty common sense, and I could see he was skeptical. He said, ah, he, he wondered, you know. So I took the water out there, and, <clears throat> and he's, he's pretty um, cost-sensitive, you know. He doesn't like to spend a lot of money on his yard that doesn't need to be spent. So I, I poured the water there, and those, those worms came out and came alive. And he said, what can we do to spray these? What can we do to take care of this problem? And so when he was aware that those worms were in there, he was willing to do something about it. It was, what can we do? And so people's mindset would switch from doubt to when they were convinced it was there, what can we do? Is there anything we can do to take care of this? You know, there are things that God has given us that is a little bit like dish soap in water. And I... I <laughs> This just blew me away. What does dish soap do? What do we use dish soap for? Clean, right? Clean things up. Is dish soap a little bit like the Holy Spirit in our lives? Is it that cleaner? Is it, is it that, that, that thing that God has given to us that stirs us inside? We pour it over our heart, and suddenly, those worms start wiggling, right? As we have the Holy Spirit in us, suddenly those worms come out of the darkness. Those worms come to light. We begin to, to see it. We begin to realize it, that, yeah, there's something there. God also places fellow brothers and sisters in our hearts. In our lives, I should I want to say, he places people around us who also act as that dish soap sometimes. And they point things out. And it doesn't always feel good when we see those worms, when we see those things. And sometimes I don't really want to, I don't really want to hear that. I want to ignore it and say, no, I don't have any sin. I don't have any worms. I don't see any. The grass is brown. It's Looks kind of rough, but I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. That's what I say. My life's fine. I don't think I need any help. I don't see any worms. There's nothing obvious. But see, God places people and His Holy Spirit to make us aware of things that are in our lives. Make us aware of things that maybe are under the surface that I don't even realize that are there. But when I allow the Holy Spirit to work, when I allow that, that soap, when I allow that Holy Spirit to drench me, things start coming alive and things start coming up. And I realize that, yeah, there is something there. There is, there is some truth to that. John chapter 16, verse 8 says, And when he, he's referring to the Holy Spirit here, or the Comforter, when he is come, he will reprove, or another word would be convict, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit, one of his works is to bring conviction. 
on our lives. So one way I can identify sin is through the Holy Spirit and also mention the brotherhood. And what is my response? Is my response like those people who saw those worms and say, what can I do to take care of this? What do I need to do when somebody points something out in my life or when I, when I sense the Holy Spirit pointing something out? Is that my response? What do I need to do to take care of this? How do you suggest I take care of this? What can I change? <clears throat> what should our response be when we identify sin? One of the first things I think of is uh, to confess it. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think that's one of the first steps is confessing. But there's more than just confess. Confessing is so freeing. And I'm, I'm going to throw this out here. There's, there's a concern I have that we don't follow all the way through in this process like we should. And one of those things is I'm all for um, accountability groups. And in the last, in my lifetime, I think we have probably more accountability groups than ever. And don't get me wrong, I think accountability groups are good. But when accountability groups, when, when all that happens in an accountability group is confession, and that's it, there's really no point. Because, see, there's, there's more to changing than just confession. Confession is a start. And, and I'm afraid sometimes there's, it's such a, it is, when I've, when I've hidden something in my heart, when there's, when there's something that I've been involved with, there's a sin in my life, it, it feels so constricting, so condemning, that when I share it with my accountability group, ooh, it's freeing. Now it's out there. I've been able to share with them what it is. And, and there is a freeing. And I think there's supposed to be a freeing. But see, that's step number one, is confession. And so I've been honest. But something needs to happen now. Change needs to happen, or else I continue to live in that sin. And so there needs to be a whatever that is that I'm confessing. I need to turn from that. I need to, I need to stay away from. It. I need to do something to replace what was there, what I was in. Change needs to happen, and that's when an accountability group comes into play. You see, it's not just an accountability group, but a, a restoration group helps me set goals and turn away from that so I don't get back into it again. When your accountability group is meeting and you're continuing to re confess repeatedly, you're wasting your time. I'm going to be honest with you. If all we do is confess, the restaurant is the one that's benefiting from you meeting your group there and eating every week. Because if all we do is confess and confess and continue to live in sin and I confess again, you know what, guys? I fell again. Oh, so did I. And so we all go around and we share that and we pray for each other and we go on and we meet next month. I fell again. You're wasting your time. That's the first step, but change needs to happen. We need to do something to, 
to stay out of that sin. Prayer is an essential part of that, but accountability, setting goals and saying, next month, I'm going to be here. This is what I'm going to do this month so I'm not back where I was last month. Setting goals and having others hold us accountable is an important part of an accountability group. <clears throat> so killing worms is the first step. One of the first things I would do when I uh, realized there were army worms there was to spray. And uh, spray was pretty effective and, and they're actually fairly easy to kill. And so I would spray them, but you see, there's often, after the army worms had been there, usually the reason we could see they were there is because there was damage. The lawn looked sick. Uh, there was a lot of dead grass on top. And so that takes some time to recover. It doesn't just, you can't just spray it and immediately we see results. But it, t it takes time for the grass or for the plant to grow out of the, the damage that was done. And we're no different. When there's sin in our lives, when there's, when there's, when there's obvious, there's, there's things that, that, we've, that we've done, that we've committed, that, that we're living in, there's often some damage. And that doesn't just change overnight. But it, we, we need to be persistent in healing. We need to be persistent in, in moving away from that. We kill the sin, we confess it, but then we begin to move out of it and we, and we begin to repair that. And what does that look like? You know, in a lawn, if there's proper uh, nutrients and proper water, most lawns recovered pretty good. I had some lawns that were looking really bad last year, and by this spring, you or by this summer, you probably won't, don't, won't even notice that, that there was damage there. So what's God's response when, when we come to Him and confess this thing? Um, the sin that we see in our lives. Do I have to live with the damage that's there? Is it non-repairable? The damage is done? The thing that, whatever it was that I, the sin that I committed, that I was living in, has been done, can't be fixed. You know, our society says that. Our society says, yeah, he sinned. He's done. Let's cast him out. It can't be repaired. But you see, that's not how God works. There's a verse in 1 John 1, 1.9 that says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is, God is God that is so willing to forgive. He wants to forgive. He wants to cleanse us. He wants us he wants us to grow. He wants us to, to receive fellowship again. He wants to be in fellowship with us. He wants that healing to happen. What do we need to do to have that healing? A few things that I thought of is spend time in the Word, read Scripture. Another one is spend time with God's people. Spend time with church, with good friends with your accountability group who's going to help you recover. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to uh, help you be restored. Lots of prayer. And I think one of the important things is to serve and to love others. And the reason I say that is because I can become 
I can become so focused on my fall or, or what I was struggling with. I get so taken up with, with that guilt that I lived in for so long that I tend to focus on who I am, where I was, where I want to be, but I'm just not sure I can get there. And I think it, it's good for us to serve others, to love other people, to, to care for those around us, and to give, and, and to identify with them and maybe their struggles and say, you know what, I'm human too. I was right there, right there where you're at. But I'm, I'm growing. I encourage you to, to grow too, to, to confess, to, to have accountability, to be restored. It's a freeing feeling. And share with them, serve, serve them. Share with them where you've been. Comparing army worms and sin. Army worms destroy plants. Sin separates and destroys families. Army worms feed at night. Sin likes to remain hidden. Army worms do more damage as they mature. Sin progresses over time. You see, I never quite thought I would go that far. Army worms destroy lawns and crops, but sin destroys lives. Sin destroys who God wants me to be. How are you doing? Have you allowed sin to enter areas of your life? Have you heard voices of warning through other people? Or maybe the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have sensed that soapy water. Maybe you have sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Is there something you're aware of that's in your heart that needs to be cleaned? What will you do about it? Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for brothers and sisters in the church who care about us. Thank you, Lord, for um, just the hope that we can have in you. Lord, I pray if there's sin that, that we see, that I see in my life, and I pray that you would help just each one of us to evaluate where we're at. Allow, help us to give us a willing spirit to allow your spirit to work in our hearts and to bring to the surface sin and things that need to be uh, dealt with and taken care of. Lord, help us to be pliable and to be open. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would bring to the surface things that, that we need to confess. And Lord, may we be people who are sold out to you. May we be people that are on fire for you and serve you with a joyful heart. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.